This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top stories. It's been a busy week at the State House in Concord, with key bills going before state lawmakers, including a so-called Parental Bill of Rights. Joining us now with the latest and to talk it over are NHPR's senior political reporter, Josh Rogers, and the New Hampshire Bulletin's education reporter, Ethan DeWitt. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The House rejected a so-called parental bill of rights aiming to codify parents' rights over school districts. Ethan, how did lawmakers come to that decision yesterday? Yeah, so this was the culmination of months of efforts on both sides to swing people, um, lawmakers on their side. But in the end, uh, just like with elections, it all came down to turnout. And we saw some intense efforts uh, to get people to Concord this week. One Republican representative flew in the night before from a wedding in Spain. Another reportedly flew back from Guatemala to make it to the vote. Um, there was a Democratic representative who had major surgery on Monday, and she interrupted her recovery to show up for the vote. So it was very clear to everybody that every seat was going to matter with the kind of divide. Um, but once the voting got started on Thursday, it was clear that Democrats had the edge in numbers. And uh, more importantly, they had a handful of Republicans on their side. Um, not a lot, but enough to make a difference. And over a series of votes, when we got to the Parental Bill of Rights, um, a coalition of Democrats and Republicans started chipping away at the bill. They started passing these floor amendments that essentially neutered some of the controversial elements, particularly the piece that requires schools to disclose a change in a student's gender identity to parents when they ask. That was struck out by an amendment that had re some Republican support. And at that point, the bill had sort of been, as I said, neutered. And at that point, Democrats realized that they had the numbers and they went for what's sort of the nuclear option in the state house, which is that rather than killing the bill, they decided to use a higher motion that's called indefinite postponement. This is not very often used, but what it effectively does if it passes is it means that not only is the bill dead, but the question, as they put it in uh, state house parlance, of behind the bill, which is essentially the topic, can't come up again for the rest of 2023 and the rest of 2024, effectively it can't come up again until the next legislature meets mm -hmm. in 2025 after the next election. So they went for the nuclear right. option, they had the numbers and they got it. Yeah, and Josh, there's been tremendous pushback on this legislation from advocates who have said that the bill would have threatened the privacy and well-being of LGBTQ students. What kind of response did you see from, from activists at the State House yesterday? Well, they really saw this as, as a civil rights win. And, and as uh, Ethan noted, uh, there was intense efforts to get people to Concord. And, you know, I was talking to some of the sort of the uh, organizers uh, before the vote, and they were confident that, that, that they had the votes to defeat this thing. Um, you know, they may not have known they had the votes to defeat as comprehensively as, as it was defeated Um with uh, indefinite postponement, but you know, again, this was only there's fun, there's a four seat difference in the House. There were a couple more Republicans out, and a couple of uh, Republicans who were leery of this bill, and and that, um, and you know, talking to talking to the activists. I mean, some of them cast it as as a civil rights win, and some of them said that they really see this as in keeping with, you know, the New Hampshire House's traditions when questions of uh, civil rights and, you know, the rights of a minority come before the House. Uh, a lot of longtime observers believe the House uh, tends to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, but this bill may be gone. This concept may be gone, um, you know, until after the next election. But certainly it's going to be a big um, thing that we hear about in the run up to the election. Republicans see this defeat yesterday as a, as a potential way to 
galvanize more support for their caucus in Concord. We will see. Yeah, motivate their voters. Josh, with the House so nearly divided between the parties this session, attendance, as you pointed out, so crucial in votes on these key issues. What's been the strategy among those two parties to have strong representation on session days? Well, I mean, you know, it's like all hands on deck, uh, put the armor on people, make sure they show up. I was talking with Democratic leader Matt Wilhelm, and he characterized that aspect of the the, the sort of hurting of the caucus, uh, making sure people are going to show up. It's always been something you need to do in a citizen legislature of this size. But he says this probably is the bulk of what he spends his time on, 60 to 70 percent of his energy. Um, you know, in general, this uh, session, Republicans have probably done a slightly better job putting uh, bodies in the seats. But yesterday, Democrats... Uh, uh, did a smidge better. And, um, you know, the default position of, of the general court is to do less rather than more ultimately. And, you know, this would be uh, this this bill would have been, um, you know, some uh, this would have been a large change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ethan, just quickly, what was some of the reaction that you heard from lawmakers? Um, well, being in the room after that vote, there was palpable emotion on both sides. Um, this is not the Colonel Bill of Rights is not something that people are in the middle about at all. Um, and there, you had a speech from the House Majority Leader, um, Jason Osborne, who was realizing that the bill was about to be put to indefinite postponement and that he didn't have the numbers. Um, he accused uh, Democrats of kind of supporting what is a black box of public education. And that got loud boos and cheers in the room. Uh, and then as as everyone was leaving, um, a lot of Republicans were uh, frustrated at their own leadership for not having the votes. Uh, but on the other side, Democrats were relieved. This is a, a fight that's been gone, has been continuing for months. And really, with the legislature like this, it's it's hard to predict what the turnout was going to be, but the Democrats are the numbers this time. I mean, these things are touching. I was talking with uh, Democratic Party Chairman Ray Buckley, and he said, you know, he, he was hopeful, but he was like, you know, in the House, if, if a couple of people get up to go to the bathroom, like, you know, you could <laughs> yeah. be sunk. And so that's just a reality of, of the legislature. It's Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt and NHPR's Josh Rogers. We've been talking about this parental bill of rights that the House lawmakers rejected yesterday. Governor Sununu said he would consider signing that bill into law, even though he had opposed a similar proposal last year. I want to ask you, Josh, what changed for Sununu? Well, one thing was his Department of Justice wasn't opposing this measure. The, the the Civil Rights Unit had raised questions about the bills that were being considered last year, and Sununu's lack of support did probably doom this thing last year. Um, you know, he said he saw this proposal as striking a balance in the fact that under this bill, teachers and school officials would not be required to disclose things about a student's change in gender, gender identity or use of a new nickname. Um, if they had evidence, uh, it could lead to abuse or neglect. That's one thing. Um, you know, another thing is obviously the politics of this. As, as Ethan noted, there are few people in the middle on this. This is something that was very important to Republican leaders. And, um, you know, Governor Sununu is a guy looking to make a name for himself outside the state in Republican circles. This is an animating issue for Republicans across the country. Many states have passed laws like this. And so for a guy eyeing a potential presidential run, um, you know, I think that factors into it. But it is yeah. also true that he only announced this on the eve of the vote. And it's not like he was uh, trying to work lawmakers. And it's it's unclear if that would have, have helped. I mean, his record working lawmakers and, and getting the results he wants is uh, hasn't been fantastic with the New Hampshire House in particular. And, and this isn't the only issue where Sununu has straddled the fence. I mean, marijuana legislation is another issue where his position is, has been shifting. And in fact, he came out and said that he might support marijuana legalization last week after a vote in the Senate. Didn't yes. He? I mean, the, the, the bill that had been killed was uh, in the Senate was, you know, sponsored by uh, 
Republican leader uh, Jason Osborne of the House, Democratic leader Matt Wilhelm. It would have permitted four ounces of possession, uh, would have taxed at 12.5 percent the cultivation level. A liquor Commission would be overseeing that. You know, you can certainly make what you want of the policy, uh, but it has been out there. And the governor has repeatedly said, well, I don't really see it getting to my desk this year. And then once it's defeated in the Senate, which is something that, you know, people were predicting, uh, only then do you see him revert back to supporting mm-hmm. a bill along a concept along the lines of a bill he sort of notionally uh, supported last year, um, which would, you know, again, put it under liquor under this plan. It would have yep. no taxes. He talked about it as undercutting cartels. Um, you know, I, I don't know how seriously to take yeah. this. Uh, you know, the governor did indicate Wednesday that maybe next year would be the possibility for this year. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, moving on to some other news from the Senate this week. They approved an expansion of the state's Education Freedom Account program, the other big story from yesterday. Ethan, who would be eligible under this proposal and what could that mean for the state budget? Yeah, so currently education freedom accounts, these are the accounts that allow you to use um, the money that would go follow your child to a public school. You can take it for private school or homeschool expenses. Um, Right now, they're available to families making up to 300% of the federal poverty line. That's about about fair for a family of four, $83,000 a year. Um, So definitely not high earning individuals. Uh, What the um, Senate approved is an expansion of that from 300% to 350%, which effectively brings it up to about $105,000 for a family of four. So still not you know high earners, but moving more into the middle class. This is something that Republicans have been eyeing. They've um, tried different proposals, even as high as 500%. They've settled on 350. And uh, it's to them, it's an effort to expand on a program that has seen a lot of take up and that they'd like more families to be able to benefit from, not just those on the lowest end of the income. Uh, Democrats have raised concerns about what this could mean for the budget, because as more and more people uh, start taking on these education freedom accounts, they're essentially grandfathered in. So when you expand who can access them, that's money that has to continually be appropriated. Um, it's unclear what the price tag is for this, but the uh, when the governor came out with his budget earlier this year, he had put in uh, about $30 million. That's double what is currently being funded per year for EFAs. And so that might be what this shakes out, but we have to see how it fits into the budget in the end. Are there any other votes that you wanted to highlight, uh, Ethan, other votes from, from lawmakers this week that you want to take a look at? Yeah, the other big showdown yesterday in the House was over Medicaid expansion, and um, somewhat improbably, similar to the uh, the parental rights vote, the Democrats had the numbers to actually pass a permanent expansion of Medicaid. For anybody who uh, has followed this issue, this has been a really tightly fought issue um, since it was first passed um, under the Obama administration, and so for the House to pass in, in a definite extension is big. But one thing that they didn't do is add uh, an effort to legalize cannabis to that. That was something that some House members had hoped to use as a bargaining chip. Um, and the the House pretty soundly rejected the idea of using Medicaid expansion as a means to negotiate with the Senate over forcing mm. cannabis legalization. This is the second time this has happened. They tried to do it with the budget a few months ago. There doesn't seem to be a big appetite among a lot of the House to try to play games um, in order to get cannabis. There just isn't that much support.
I want to turn our attention to uh, former New Hampshire Attorney General Michael Delaney while we still have a minute here. He was asked uh, to he's asked to have his nomination to serve as a judge in the U.S. Circuit Court withdrawn. The U.S. Senate had already been dragging its feet on a vote, and it seemed unlikely that he'd get the majority needed to join the bench. Josh, what are the concerns that folks have had about Delaney's nomination? Well, Delaney was nominated back in January. Uh, One concern was uh, his representation of St. Paul's School and the the Chessie Prout uh, sort of civil case um, regarding Owen Labrie's sex assault there. you know, she loudly complained about Delaney's nomination. Uh, he had signed on to briefs uh, in the parental notification uh, for abortion case way back when. This was the case that really made Kelly Ayotte's name in, in anti-abortion circles nationally. So you had Chessie Prout. You had um, pro-choice uh, activists raising concern. And, you know, there was more recently Delaney's ties to a free market legal group. A lot of this happened hinged on Dianne Feinstein's long absence mm-hmm. from the Senate as well. People thought maybe when she returned, um, they might, you know, push Delaney through. Uh, she returned. That didn't happen. Uh, they're just Republicans weren't going to vote for him. And there was some Democratic skepticism and that sunk him. He's withdrawn. And we're going to have to find out who the next nominee is going to be. All right. We have to leave it there. NHPR's Josh Rogers and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Thank you both so much for sharing your reporting with us this morning. You're welcome. Here. You can find more of their work and all the stories that we talked about this morning at NHPR.org and NewHampshireBulletin.com. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.